You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. identified as having an inordinate self-esteem or an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority and talent, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt for others. The Jews certainly looked down upon the Gentile nations and called them inferior. They were taught this from a very, very early age in Hebrew school. Often, prejudice is taught from a very young age. Such was the case with the Jewish bias towards the Gentiles. Pastor Dave shares how this pride was exhibited as a lofty air and contempt for this group. When such pride is taught at a young age, it can be assumed as accurate. However, one must examine the prejudice as an adult and change their ways. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he begins his message, The Logic of Prejudice. Today we're going to go through a whopping four verses, so go to Acts 21, please. We're going to be reading in verses 27 through 30 this morning. 27 through 30. So if you will read silently, I will read aloud. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trometheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut." Have you ever noticed how cruel man is to his fellow man? Have you ever noticed that? Nah, you never. You might have looked and seen that every now and then, especially when his opinion is different than others, or others don't meet his thoughts or patterns of living, whether it's color of skin, whether it's socioeconomic status, whether it's age, whether it's religion, gender, Places of residence, abilities, the list goes on and on and on. And we call this prejudice. Call these thoughts prejudice. There are two apples up in a tree one day, and they're just kind of hanging around, as apples do. And they were looking down on the world. The first apple said, look at all those people down there fighting, robbing, rioting. No one seems to be willing to get along with his fellow man, you know. Someday we apples will be the only ones left, and we will rule the world. The other apple looked at him and said, which one of us, the reds or the greens? Yeah, prejudice. Have you ever been a victim of prejudice? Have you ever had to deal with the pride that usually goes along with prejudice? You know, the thought of someone thinking that they're better than you, 
Have you ever had to deal with that kind of thing? Maybe, maybe you've been angry at God during these times for being treated so unfairly in your lives. Maybe there is a time in your life, maybe it's now, that you're angry with God because you've been treated unfairly due to a prejudicial thought or something that has happened to you, and you're thinking, I've been treated unfairly. Someone has acted prejudicial towards me, and I'm angry at you, God. There's this playlet. It's entitled The Long Silence, and I, I think it sums everything up. And allow me, if I can, to read that to you today. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them. But some groups near the front, they talked heatedly, not cringing with shame, but belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? snapped a pert young brunette, and she ripped open her sleeve and showed a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. In another group, there was a small African-American boy, and he lowered his collar and says, what about this, he demanded, and he showed them an ugly rope burn. Lynched, he said, for nothing more than being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes said, Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where there was all sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, where there was no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that men had been forced to endure in this world, anyhow? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they thought. Each of these groups sent forth a leader, and the leader had been chosen because he had suffered the most out of all of them. There was a Jew, an African-American, a person from Hiroshima, a person deformed arthritically, and a Philemonite baby. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. And at last they were ready to present their case. And they thought it was rather clever. They concluded that before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must have endured what they endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to life on earth as a man. This was their proclamation. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think of as out of his mind when he tries to accomplish it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudicial jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. And at last, let him see what it means to be all alone, terribly all alone. Let him die. Let him die so that there's no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify his death. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people that were there. But when the last one had finished pronouncing his sentence, there was a long silence. A very long silence. For suddenly, everyone knew and everyone realized that God had already served the sentence. That's what prejudice is about. To be prejudiced means to prejudge. It means to, 
to have an opinion or a decision of mine, and it's formed without due examination of facts or arguments which are necessary to a just and impartial determination. Prejudices exist everywhere. You cannot get away from them. There are innumerable prejudices in education, and we are accustomed to believe what we're taught and to receive opinions from others without examining the grounds by which they can be supported. People have strong prejudices in favor of their race, their ethnic origin, their country or political party, or even the church or religion in which they've been educated. All too often, these prejudices become unreasonable. Prejudices can be taken to extremes, which usually mean violence against those who don't belong, those who look or think differently or believe differently than than we do. Prejudices come in all forms. They come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. Prejudices take on meanings from their own and, and have caused people to do horrible things against their fellow man and against one another. For centuries, the Jews had looked down upon the Gentiles with an attitude of prideful prejudice. Let's clarify one thing. A Gentile is not a Jew. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. If you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. The Jews had something the other nations did not have. They had a relationship with the one true living God. They were his chosen people. He had acted mightily on their behalf. He had protected them, guided them, and he had taught them. And they were his children. They were a special nation, and he called them his treasure. Today we think of them as the apple of his eye. The proof of this relationship that he had with them was called a mark of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was called the circumcision. The Jews were of the circumcision, and the Gentiles were called the uncircumcised. The Jews looked down upon those who were different, who did not bear the mark of the covenant. But God never intended the Jew to have this attitude. Paul, speaking to the Romans, declared that the mark of the covenant, the physical circumcision, was by no means proof that someone was a person of faith. You can read about that in Romans 2, 25 through 29, and Galatians 5, 6, and Galatians 6, 15. But it was God that made the difference. God made the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, for from the hour he had called Abraham, he made this difference between Jews and Gentiles. He made this difference that the Jews might not boast, but that they might be a blessing and help the Gentiles. Help the Gentiles come to know the true living God. This was his plan. God set them apart that he might use them, the Jews, to be a channel of his revelation and a channel of his goodness to the heathen nations. It is sad to say, but Israel kept this distance very nationally and very ritually, but they didn't keep it morally. Israel became like the other nations. They became lost, totally lost. God had to discipline them because they would not maintain their spiritual separation and they wouldn't minister to the other nations in the name of the true and living God. You have a great example of that in the story of Jonah. When Jonah is called to go to a people and minister to them about the true and living God, he said, no, I don't want to go because if I go, they'll know you. And he had a prideful attitude. And you know the rest. You know how God dealt with him. But see, God made this vast difference between Jew and Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have a citizenship. They didn't belong. God had called the Jews and built into them a great nation. 
He had given them his laws and given them his blessings. The Gentiles were not born into this special relationship. They were not born into this special relationship that the Jews had, so they didn't have a citizenship. The Gentiles didn't have covenants with the one true God. God made a covenant with Abraham that included the Gentiles, but God never made any covenants with the Gentile nations directly. The Gentiles were aliens. They were strangers to the promises of God. And the Jews never let them forget it. They never let the Gentiles forget it. The Gentiles were without hope. We're told by the historians that a great cloud of hopelessness was over top of the ancient world. Their philosophies were empty. Their traditions were disappearing. Worst of all, their religions did not have the power to help men face life or death. Their religions were powerless. There was simply no hope. The Gentiles were without the true living God. Oh, they had plenty of gods. There was a God on every corner. They made a God out of everything. They worshipped everything, but they didn't know the true living God. No matter how moral or how religious they thought they were, they didn't meet true living God's standards. Yes, God made the Gentiles and the Jews different. He kept them separate, but he did that so that he might save the Gentiles. God had called the Jews, and beginning with Abraham, that through him he might reveal himself as the one true God. I mean, he gave the Jews his word. He gave the Jews, and through them the Savior of the world came. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles might be saved. But as I said earlier, Israel became like the Gentiles, and the light burned, but ever so dimly. It's extremely sad that this difference this separation that God wanted to use to bring the Gentiles to himself turned into a great prejudice against the Gentiles. It became a great sense of pride for the Jews. They were God's people. They were chosen by him. This pride led to prejudice. Now, pride can be identified as having an inordinate self-esteem or an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt for others. The Jews certainly looked down upon the Gentile nations and called them inferior. They were taught this from a very, very early age in Hebrew school. In fact, when the Pharisees would pray in the morning, they would thank God that they were not a woman, and they would thank God that they were not a Gentile. That was one of their prayers. When they were walking down the street and a Gentile came towards them, they would cross the street and walk on the other side as to not to mix or be near the Gentile. This is how they loathe them. And even though the gospel spread throughout the Gentile nation, beginning with Peter at Cornelius' house, and eventually through Paul's missionary and his journeys, most Jews continued to be prejudiced against the Gentiles, and they wanted them to become Jewish. They demanded that they follow the laws of Moses. They demanded that they be circumcised if indeed they were going to receive salvation. This is in the middle of all this that's happening that Paul walks with his companions into Jerusalem. Paul's walking right into the heat of this. 
Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Remember, Paul was going to pay the offering. Paul was going to pay for these four guys who had taken this vow. He was going to pay for everything. He was going to be their sponsor. This was going to appease the Jews. That's what the elders said. It'll appease the Jews. Compromise. Compromise never appeases. Somebody always loses in a compromise. I don't care. When the church compromises with the world, who loses? Church. Church will always lose when we compromise with the world. Always. Paul does what the elders have asked, and the results are not quite what they expected. It's extremely interesting to me that wherever the Apostle Paul goes, one of two things happen. You either have a revival or you have a riot. Usually one of those two things happen when the Apostle Paul is around. So every once in a while, like in Ephesus, you have a little bit of both. You have a great revival, but then you eventually had a riot anyhow. Instead of warding off this uproar, which they wanted it, the direct opposite happened. An uproar happened. A riot happened. Let's go to verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. I love this. Jews from Asia. Wait a minute. Jews from Asia. Sounds like a motorcycle club. The Jews from Asia are here. Uh-oh. Here they come. And they're, they're all coming down. I'm sorry. I digress. Anyhow, these, these Jews followed Paul everywhere he went. These they're known as the Judaizers. We studied about them. They followed Paul everywhere he went, and they constantly tried to cause trouble for him. And they see him in the temple, and they go crazy. They see him in the temple, and they go crazy. What's going on here? Well, first you have the legalistic Judaizers after Paul for going against the law of Moses. You have the rumors and gossip. They all heard the lies and misinformation that was being spread. Paul did this compromise and he tried to appease the Jews, all you got to do is add a dash of prejudice, and boom, you got a full-fledged riot. This is pretty cool. This is exactly what happens. Look at verse 28 and 29. They came in there crying out, Men of Israel, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they previously seen Trometheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And here we see the logic behind prejudice. The logic. It's good logic. Well, Paul's there. He's friends with Gentiles. They go with him everywhere he goes. They must be in the temple. That's their logic. Let's riot. Yeah. That's their logic. That's the logic of prejudice. It makes no sense. There is no logic. It makes no sense. These Jews stirred up Jerusalem and they started to appeal to the prejudices that had already existed in their lives. Remember, these Jews were raised from a very, very early age and taught these prejudices. It's part of their life. Prejudices sometimes are taught, sometimes prejudices are caught like a virus. But the Greek phrase here used for stirred up is sunkoho, meaning to throw to disorder, to perplex, to confuse. They appeal to their flesh. Prejudice appeals to your flesh because it puffs you up with pride. I'm better than they are. 
because I believe this, this, and this. I'm better than they are. See, see, prejudice appeals to my flesh because it makes me look good. It makes everybody look looks inferior. And when I look better than everybody else, I look good. See, that's what prejudice does. Now, the temple was divided into basically three sections. They had a temple part here, in the middle of the temple. There was the Holy of Holies. There was the Most Holy Place. And then there was this third compartment of the temple, and it was called the Court of the Israelites. And it was divided in two sections, I found out. The western section was reserved for men, and the eastern section was reserved for women. But outside the temple, there was this temple. Outside the temple was another courtyard. There was another great big courtyard. And that was called the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, you had to stay in that court. You could not go in through the wall and get into the temple. If you were, that was a law. And the law actually said if you did, they could kill you. And the Romans supported this law. The Romans allowed this to happen, that if a Gentile went into the temple where he wasn't supposed to go, then by temple law, he could be killed. This was supported by the Roman government. Look what's happening here in Jerusalem. These prejudicial emotions are running rampant. They're running wild. Their brains are in neutral. Their brains are in neutral. They're just following the crowd because of all this prejudice stuff. And seeing Paul in the temple was enough to set off a riot. If Paul was there, so were the Gentiles. They charged after Paul, seized him, began beating him as they threw him out of the temple and shut the doors. They threw him into the court of the Gentiles. Threw him out. You like the Gentiles so much here? Be one of them. And threw him out. Shut the doors. The city was disturbed. They all catch this virus called prejudice. There's a lot of zombie movies out right now, you know, and all it takes is to be bit by one. You turn into a zombie, and then you bite two friends, and they bite six friends, and they bite. Now, pretty soon the whole world is zombies. We're all running around biting each other. Well, this virus is called prejudice. You can catch it, you know. You can be with somebody who's prejudiced and has a prejudicial attitude, and all of a sudden you start feeling the same way. Because they appeal to your flesh. They appeal to the fleshly nature. They appeal to that old nature. We start feeling the same way. Or maybe, you know, love our moms and dads, that older generation. But man, they had some attitudes. I'm telling you right now, my father had some attitudes. There were some people in my father's life who he just didn't like. And he made under no circum turns who it was and who it was not. You know, when you're prejudiced, you want to look for someone to blame. And when you find that person, you point. It's their fault. It's their fault my life is so bad. It's their fault. I'm better than they are. I should be getting more than they do, but look what they're getting. We do that. That's what they were doing. It's his fault. He teaches against the law of Moses. He's defiled the holy place. He brought Gentiles into into the temple. The Jews from Asia, riding on their motorcycles throughout Jerusalem, telling everybody that this Paul is for bad, and they use all the buzzwords, and the people get really charged up. But this is what prejudice does. It appeals and stirs up your deepest, deepest feelings, your deepest, deepest feelings that you have. It stirs them up. Teachings that have been handed down from generation to generation, from family to family. Prejudices can be caught. They can be caught like a virus. You are sure. When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.